Hi, everyone, and welcome to Year Round Madness, the college basketball podcast that's part of the Total Sports 24-7 network. This is Chris Hayes, the host and producer for this podcast and all podcasts across the Total Sports 24-7 network. You can find all of our archived episodes of your favorite podcast from the network on our website. It's totalsports247.podbean.com. Follow me on X as well, at TotalSports underscore 247. Consider subscribing to our newsletter. It's weekinweekout.substack.com. And please be sure to like and subscribe and leave reviews for the podcast wherever you listen to this podcast. Now, I produce the podcast through Podbean, which is a podcast platform and helps content creators like myself push out podcasts, edit podcasts, those sorts of things. It is a wonderful resource and a great partner. At the same time, we're also on most major podcast providers because of what Podbean is able to do for us. You can find us by searching Total Sports 247 on whatever your preferred podcast platform is, and you can start subscribing today. On today's show, we will cover Wednesday's games in college basketball. There are five that we have our eye on. Wednesday's a loaded slate. We narrowed it down to five that could have conference recommend. Uh, ramifications as well as potential NCAA tournament ramifications. All the spreads are pretty close and all of these are available uh, to watch like on regular like regular TV, not uh, paid subscription or anything like that. So let's get into the five games that I chose. I'll give my recommendations and uh, feel free to uh, find me again on X and leave comments as to what you think about these games, how you think these games will go. Again, I think these are critical matchups across the country. So we're going to start in the Big East. We actually have two Big East games to cover, two games in the SEC we're going to touch upon, and then we are going to go out to the Big Ten for our final game. So the first game is at 6.30 Eastern Time. This can be found on FS1 tomorrow. It's Providence versus Seton Hall. Current odds on DraftKings are Seton Hall minus 3.5. The total is 138.5. So let's talk about these two teams. Providence, uh, It's just been a tough luck year for them, especially since Bryce Hopkins went down with a season-ending injury. So that game that they lost Bryce Hopkins was against Seton Hall. They ended up losing that game 61-57, to and they were trending in the right direction at that point in the season. They had just two losses, one to Kansas State in, I think it was in the Bahamas, and then they had lost to... Oklahoma in their building, no shame in that loss, and they had some good wins. They had a great win against Wisconsin early in the season. They got past a decent, if not great, Georgia team in the Bahamas as well, and they had beaten Marquette by 15 at home before facing off against the Pirates in this game where Hopkins got hurt. They were in the top 25 at this point. Like I said, things were trending in the right direction, and they just haven't ever since. Losses to Creighton, St. John's, and Xavier before they took out their frustrations against a woeful DePaul team in their last outing, 100-62. to So Providence has been struggling to score, absent of that DePaul game since 
Hopkins went out with his injury. So they only scored 57 in that game against the Hall in their first matchup. They managed 60 against Creighton, 73 against St. John's, and 65 against Xavier, all of those under their season average points per game of 74.1. Devin Carter has had to be the guy for this Providence team in the absence of Hopkins. He has had some phenomenal stat lines since Hopkins went out against Creighton. He went for 26, 10 boards, three assists, and three threes. St. John's, he went for 31. He had 13 boards. He also had four steals and three threes in that game. He managed 18 points and seven boards against Xavier and went for 25 and had three steals against DePaul. So he's been doing it both on the offensive and defensive side of the ball, and he is carrying this team on its back as it limps through Big East play. So Providence is three and four in the conference, and it's a challenging road the next few games. So they get Georgetown after this, but then they have UConn at their place, Villanova at their place, and then Creighton before things settle down a little bit. So a very tough stretch for Providence and and one that will be challenging to find wins. They've got to find wins, though, in order to still be considered uh, for an NCAA tournament berth. And it has to start, I think, with this game against Seton Hall. Seton Hall, they are an interesting team because I think they might be a little bit overrated. I'm not sure. Um, They're pretty balanced, which I like. But Canary Richmond is the clear leader on the team. He's averaging over 16 points per game seven boards and five assists, 2.2 steals, and he knows his role. He knows his game. He knows that he's not a a deep threat, um, but plays within himself, plays sort of within 20 feet from the basket and is a floor general. He's one of the top 20 most important players in the country, according to Evan Maya, and I don't know where they would be without him. He's actually 13th in the country, and uh, he again, leads on both sides, right? 2.2 steals per game and 16 points per game and distributes the ball to their better shooters like uh, Alamir Dawes and Dre Davis, who are not, uh, this team is not a great three-point shooting team at 33%. When they get to the foul line, they do make their free throws at a 77% clip. So they're, they're it's a hard team to figure out because they, they're, they're kind of right there on the bubble in terms of their in terms of whether or not they're going to get in the tournament. Their 6-2 and two conference record is a little bit misleading in my mind. They have a four-point win against Georgetown, a six-point win against Butler. Uh, they beat Marquette, but it was just by three, So, and the four-point win against Providence. So they have uh, small margins against uh, these uh, in-conference foes, and they, you know, they, they could be four and four. They could have lost a couple of those games. So this, this could look quite differently for Seton Hall. But again, they are six and two of the conference. The signature win, of course, was against Utah. Uh, sorry, UConn, where they won seventy-five to sixty. But you have to remember, Donovan Klingon was not in that game, so advantage to <laughs> Seton Hall uh, for that one. So this will be an interesting one to watch. I, I, I have a feeling it's going to be a defensive battle. Both teams do have a little bit of a tendency to turn the ball over. So that could crop up in this one. I think I'm going to go with the under 138 and a half, considering that Providence has struggled offensively outside of that DePaul game since Hopkins has gone down. Seton Hall in general um, is not the best shooting team, like I said, 
And this this the turnover issues is what really troubles me, and I think it could keep the game fairly low scoring. So I'm not going to take a side. I think Providence has some fight in them left, right? I, this this beatdown of DePaul could be the start of something for Providence, like a reinvigoration of their season. And it seemed like that DePaul came that DePaul game came at the right time. So we're going to pause on the spread. Three and a half, we think we think Providence could win. We also think Seton Hall could cover. So we're just going to leave that alone. We think it's more likely that this game goes under the 138 and a half total. So that is going to be our first play. Our next game takes us to Tuscaloosa, where Auburn goes to Alabama. This is very intriguing and a different style of game, certainly from the Providence and Seton Hall matchup. So in this game, Alabama's favored. By two and a half, the total's at 165 and a half. Quite the high total. And this is at 7.30 on ESPN. Auburn is uh, a, a computer darling. Like their, their AP rankings and their coaches poll rankings have finally caught up to their computer rankings, which have been high all year. They're currently seventh in the net and over at... Ken Palm, they are sitting pretty in fifth. They're a top 10 offense and a top 10 defense, according to Ken Palm. They are 16-2 and two on the year, and all 16 of their wins have been by double digits. So they are uh, playing lights out this year. But the interesting thing about Auburn, given their ranking, given their uh, metrics, given their high metrics across the board at every rating, agency is that they don't have a quad one win on their resume at all. So they have 16 double digit wins, which helps with their ranking, but they don't have a quad one win. So if you're unfamiliar with what that means, the quadrant system, it's in its fourth season and it helps the committee figure out how to seed teams and what teams should be in the tournament. It, it tries to evaluate the quality of wins and losses the quadrant one is defined as the following. A home win with ranking one through 30, a neutral win with ranking one through 50, and an away win with ranking one through 75. So they don't have any of those on the schedule. Their most recent game against Ole Miss, Ole Miss was ranked 22nd, but they weren't in the top 30 for a for the net. They're actually extremely low in the net, somewhere in the range of 70 or so. So that didn't count as a quad one win. They don't have a single quad one win. They, they have wins against Indiana, which looked like it would be good in the preseason, but Indiana has struggled. They have a win against USC, which looked like it would be good in the preseason, but they have struggled. They have a decent win against Virginia Tech, and there's just not much else on there. Maybe Texas A&M is their best win so far. So they have not faced the brunt of their conference schedule yet. They do get Alabama twice in conference. Uh, they have to play Kentucky and Tennessee only once. So this this could end up working out for Auburn. I think if the season were to end today, Auburn would be a two seed. But they could easily play their way into a number one seed. Bruce Pearl's done an amazing job managing this team. Listen to this. This is a fascinating stat. So they have 10 guys in their regular rotation that average 15 minutes, and nobody averages more than 23 minutes a game. 
That is crazy control of the roster. One, it keeps everybody happy, but two, it keeps everybody fresh. And I think it's part of the reason why they're beating everybody by double digits. Johnny Broom has been highly productive for them. 15.3 points, 8.4 boards, and 1.7 blocks on the season. Jalen Williams is also a highly rated player at Evan Maya. He is 6'8", 245, and he's shooting 45% from three and 63% from the field. Just a force on this team. This is a massive test for Auburn because not only is do they not have a quad one win, but Alabama on the flip side, they're a computer darling as well. They do have a couple quad one wins to their credit. They're two and five in quad one. They are eighth at, or sorry, they are ninth. They're ninth in the net right now, Alabama, and they are eighth over at Ken Palm despite being just 12 and Six, but they do not have any bad losses on the season. Uh, Ohio State is maybe their worst. They lost to Clemson, which Clemson's fading a little bit as the season moves on. But Purdue, Creighton, and Arizona, that stretch in the middle of the season is nothing to hang your head about. And then a loss at Tennessee. You know, unfortunately, that game was not competitive. That's the thing with Alabama. It's a top 10 loss, and there's no shame in that. But it would have been nice not to lose by 20. So Alabama has... Uh, uh, beaten up on teams, though, that they should as well. South Carolina beat down Missouri, beat down. So they uh, that that's part of the reason why their ranking is still so high, despite just a 12-6 and six record. They are 4-1 and one in the conference, though. So they're right there in the thick of things in terms of the conference standings and high seeds and potential for uh, winning winning the SEC championship, right? There, there's you could absolutely start to see a dividing line in the SEC with Auburn at five and zero, Kentucky's four and one, Tennessee's also four and one, and Alabama's four and one. Then it feels like everybody else is a pretender in the conference. Where preseason it looked like Mississippi State, Texas A and M, Florida, even Arkansas, who's been maybe one of the biggest disappointments in the country. Um, those teams were talked about as potential contenders. I know that uh, there were certain people in the media who thought Arkansas would win this conference, and <laughs> they've just been um, embarrassing, quite frankly, and uh, not living up to any of the hype that saw them um, go to the Sweet 16 last year. So for Alabama, they, I think they're, you know, they're 12 and 6, but they they could be better, quite frankly. Um, Grant Nelson, the transfer, he has not been, I don't think, what people were anticipating he would be. He can't shoot. It stinks because Alabama shoots the ball at 39%, and they have um, the highest effective field goal percentage in the country among Power 5 teams right there, or Power 6, I guess, right alongside Kentucky. They're tied for third overall in the country, but he is bringing that percentage down. So when we look at their um, statistics. He's third on the team in scoring at 12 points per game, but he's shooting 27% from the, beyond the arc. The team as a whole is shooting 39%. So just imagine what they would be if there was an uptick in his production. Mark Sears is leading the team from the backcourt along with Aaron Estrada. Estrada goes in and out. He's a little bit inconsistent. Uh, when he's good, he's really good, but he can disappear in games every now and then. Sears is a little bit steadier and is 
I think is the unquestioned leader. He averages just under 20 points per game with just under four rebounds, just under four assists, and one and a half steals. And he's shooting 47.3% from three. He's having um, a fantastic season, and he's he's leading this team. So what do we make of this game? Well, we think it could be high scoring, but we also think 165 and a half is quite a high number. I mean, not for nothing, Auburn is sixth in adjusted defense over at Ken Palm. Alabama, you know, they're 64th, which isn't that great. So they will let up. They let up 101.4 points per 100 possessions. But this game, I don't know that it's going to be as high scoring as the number is indicating, but we're going to go away from that. We think that Alabama is going to pass this test, not necessarily Auburn. We think Auburn... A loss here is not going to hurt them in the least, and we think Alabama can cover this two and a half. We don't. The Auburn hasn't faced this type of competition really much this year, and when they have, quite honestly, they've lost. They lost to Baylor, and they lost at Appalachian State. They haven't had a test on the road in conference play. Their only two road games were at Vanderbilt, where they won by 15, and at Arkansas, where they won by 32. Arkansas is crazy. It seemed like they were going to be a team to watch. You know, they beat Duke, and they've just fallen off a cliff. I mean, they're just not good. So uh, we'll see about how uh, Auburn responds to a road environment. Uh, Evan Meyer ranks Alabama as uh, one of the better home environments in the country, but you watch them on TV. I don't know. It feels like it's not all that exciting a place to watch a game. It feels like the crowd is not really all that into it. So, especially when you compare it to Auburn, that home environment translates very well. So, uh, I'm hoping that it's just something that I'm seeing and that I'm mistaken by that because um, Alabama could have an absolute home, home, you know, home field advantage if. Uh, they wanted to take advantage of being at home because their fans know how to <laughs> celebrate. They know how to cheer on their team. They uh, they can get up for games, and they've got a good team there in, in Tuscaloosa. And I'm going to take them in this game, the second game, with Alabama minus 2.5. That's going to be our second play. Third game is Villanova at St. John's. This game is at Madison Square Garden. Let me just get where the game is in terms of the uh, time and the network. I did not make a note of that. So give me one second. This game's at 8.30 on FS1. So it's after the first Big East game. So the line on this one, St. John's minus three and a half with the total at 145 and a half. They have played each other already this year. St. John's won by 10. Villanova is losers of three of their last four, and I don't know about this Villanova team. Like, I think if the season were to end today, they're like an 11 seed or a first four seed, I think. Um, they're four and three in conference, but when you look at their conference wins, two out of those four wins are against DePaul, and they have a two-point win against Creighton and a one-point win against Xavier. So they could very easily be two and five with two wins over DePaul. They're not though. And so they have some good wins to hang their, like the, the reason they are still in the a conversation for an at-large bid is because of the way they played in the Bahamas. So they got this conference win over Creighton, which of course is good, but they beat Texas Tech by 16, North Carolina and Memphis to win 
that battle for Atlantis, and that was massive. Those are three excellent wins for Villanova that could counteract, depending on how the committee views it, some of these bad losses. They're losing to all these Philly teams. They lost to Penn, they lost to St. Joe's, and they lost to Drexel. And that is a confusing computer ranking. So Villanova sits at 29 over at Ken Palm. In the net, they are lower than that. They sit at 37. So they've got, they're five and five in the first two quadrants, but they have two quad three losses and they're, they're, they're six and two in quad three and quad four. So a very confusing resume for Villanova. They're also just six and three at home. This game, of course, will be on the road in Madison Square Garden. I think that Villanova is going to have a problem with St. John's physicality and pace. Um, I think Joel Soriano is one of the more underrated players in the country for St. John's. He's averaging basically a double-double and shooting 62% from the field. This St. John's team, we could be speaking very differently about them if they were able to pull off wins against Creighton and Marquette. They couldn't do so. Both of those being one-point losses, they would be in a much different position. In conference, they would be 6-2. and two. They would be 14-5 and five overall with those signature wins. It's not the case, unfortunately, so they're going to have to make up some ground because they are very much a bubble team as well. Uh, St. John's is going to want to play fast in this one, and Villanova is going to want to play slow, and they're going to want to protect the basketball. So the controller of tempo in this one will be the team that wins. We like St. John's at home. We, uh, we think their physicality is going to be challenging for Nova, like we said. And uh, we think the three and a half is a nice number to take. So we're going to go with St. John's minus three and a half. If we had to bet on the over or the under, we like the under more, 145 and a half. But our favorite play is St. John's minus three and a half. That's going to be our third play. Our fourth game, this is a classic, again, a classic bubble bubble matchup. Both these teams need this win desperately. This is Mississippi State and Florida. Mississippi State is 40 in the net and Florida is 45. So right on the cusp of tournament berth. Florida is minus three with the total at 145 and a half. You can find this on the SEC network at 830. Tolu Smith has been great for Mississippi State since he came back. Remember, he had a foot injury, and all signs pointed to him coming back at the start of conference play. That's what happened. He actually came back one game before that, and he's played really well, but they're only 3-3 three and three with him back. They do have a critical resume-building win against Tennessee, and Tennessee's a team that's kind of built like Mississippi State. Tennessee's much better than Mississippi State. They shoot better. But everybody shoots better than Mississippi State. and uh, But they're physical, they're big, and they they have a similar style. They want to they wanna wear you down defensively and beat you in you know the second half of games. Um, that's what Mississippi State was able to do to Tennessee in their victory. And again, it was huge for them as part of a resume booster. Like I said, they can't shoot the three. They're not the worst team in the country like they were last year. They do have Josh Hubbard, the freshman, who can shoot a little bit at 37% from three, which which helps uh, 
keep defenses sort of honest and force you to defend the three a little bit if he's if he's making shots. So yes, they're very physical, but to coming up against the Florida team, who I wouldn't call them physical per se, but they have size. They have three guys who average over seven boards a game. They're one of the better rebounding teams in the country. They like to push pace as well. I think Florida has better athletes than Mississippi State does, and I think being at home will help this team as well. They really need this win. Florida's the classic bubble team in that they're 0-6 in quad one opportunities and 12-0 and against everybody else. We think this is going to be their first quad one win of the season. We like them to cover this minus three. We, we think that this game being at home for Florida is a huge advantage and they need to win this game to sort of stay in the mix for like a top six seed in conference tournament play they beat Arkansas by 22 at home they just won at Missouri and uh, they had a pretty disappointing effort against Ole Miss on the road Um, they nearly beat Kentucky at home that would have been a great signature win for Florida but that puts them at two and three this would even things up they have a I think a more challenging SEC schedule than say the likes of Auburn they get a plucky Georgia team on the 27th this Saturday and then Kentucky A&M and Auburn uh, for their next three so this is kind of a critical game for them to get I think because it's going to get challenging through mid-February and they still have to play Alabama later on twice so this is one that they're going to want to get and I think the being at home it tilts the scale in Florida's favor I like them to cover Our last game is Illinois against Northwestern. This game is at 9 o'clock on the Big Ten Network. Illinois favored uh, 4.5 on the road with a total at 147.5. We know that Terrence Shannon is back for Illinois. If we're not going to say one way or the other whether or not we think he should or should not be playing. You can find those opinions on other shows and in other media. We don't... that's, That's not our place to talk about that. We are going to talk about Terrence Shannon because he's back and it affects the way we're going to bet this game. So he's had an unbelievable season when he's been on the court. He's playing himself into first round draft pick status over 20 points a game. He's way more efficient this year than he's been in years past, shooting the three better and really just a leader on this team. He and Coleman Hawkins are the true leaders of uh, the team. Hawkins, the veteran. He's a top 20 player at Evan Maya, along with Terrence Shannon. Hawkins leads the defense too. Shannon's sort of like fine on defense, but he's more, he pushes the tempo, he gets to the free throw line, and he makes that offense go. Whereas Hawkins is a great rim protector and a good defender on the ball too. So we like both of them. And Hawkins, of course, is a great passer for a big man. Sometimes he passes a little too much and his shooting is getting a little bit better. So we'd like to see um, him defer to being a little bit more aggressive on offense. Not necessarily shooting the three, but uh, just shooting a little bit more in general. We think he could do that and that would improve his game even more. This is a crazy statistic I found when I was looking at this Illinois team. So Quincy Garrier, he's a starter for them uh, at forward. He, you know, averages 25 or so minutes a game. And I don't know if I've ever seen this. So how many games they played? 18. He has four assists on the season. Four. Four 
on the whole season. He's averaging 0.2 assists per game, and he plays regular minutes. I, I can't believe how Illinois has gotten away with not having a point guard this year. Um, Luke Goody did a pretty good job filling in for Shannon when he was out. He'll return to his bench role, and Hawkins is really the one who distributes on this offense. It's certainly not Gary here. He's shooting the ball if he gets it. 0.2 assists per game. That's pretty wild. Uh, when we look at the uh, Northwestern side of things, they've had an interesting season because the computers hate them. They're, they would not be in the tournament if the season were to end today, despite some top-tier wins like Purdue. Uh, they have a good win over Dayton at home, and they've beaten Michigan State. So they have shown, especially at home, an ability to compete with top 25 programs and not just compete but beat them but they do have some confusing losses the Chicago State one especially comes to mind uh, they're not deep they have four starters who play at least 30 minutes a game led by Boo Booey who is um, an excellent player and a great leader he's a perfect fit for this Northwestern team uh, they have difficulty rebounding the ball, though, and Illinois is a very good rebounding team. So massive edge to Illinois on that front in this game. Northwestern is going to have to be able to control the tempo in this game, and they have to make shots. And it sounds obvious, but Northwest, what I mean by that is Northwestern is not one of these teams who can rely solely on their defense to win them games. Like if you look at someone like a Houston, right? Houston doesn't have to make shots in order to win, Right. Northwestern does, and if they're not making shots, they're in trouble. The, the reason they beat Purdue is because they made 10 threes and made their shots, right? They shot over 50% from the field in that Michigan State win. So that's going to be the key for Northwestern to slow tempo down and when they get their opportunities to convert on them. Like they beat Purdue in overtime, despite being out-rebounded by 25 in that game. Purdue had 52 rebounds, Northwestern had 27. So we think there is going to be, again, that massive rebounding edge. Illinois beat them by 30 in their place earlier this season. We think they'll cover this four and a half. Northwestern could surprise and get another win and really sort of, sort of upset the Big Ten apple cart with another win here. The Big Ten is a little bit tight in the middle. We've got Wisconsin and Purdue leading the way. In the conference with Illinois sort of right there. And uh, this would be uh, very interesting to mix things up. If they if Northwestern pulls this off, they move to 5-3 and three in the conference, as does Illinois. And then they split during the season. So I'm not sure what the next tiebreaker would be. But they would be tied, at least based on conference record and head-to-head. -head. So this is actually kind of important for Illinois to make sure that they take care of business in this game. You know, Illinois only has four losses on the season. They're two, Marquette to Tennessee, Purdue, and then they had a little bit of a stinker against Maryland. So they've only really slipped up one time this season. Uh, they can't afford to slip up against Northwestern. They've got Indiana, Ohio State, Nebraska. Tons of opportunities to continue to pile up wins for Illinois, and they need to do so if they want to get into, say, a top two, top three seed in the tournament. We like them to take advantage of their size and their athleticism to, uh, tomorrow night against Northwestern, 9 o'clock Big Ten Network. We're going to take Illinois minus four and a half. So to summarize, the five picks that we like for tomorrow night's game are number one, Providence and Seton Hall under 138 and a half. We like Alabama to cover two and a half against Auburn. 
We like St. John's to cover three and a half against Villanova. We like Florida to cover three against Mississippi State. And we like Illinois to cover four and a half against Northwestern. So that'll do it for this episode. Thanks for listening. We will be back towards the end of this week, likely Saturday morning or maybe Friday night, depending on when the lines come out. We might uh, do a Friday night episode of Year Round Madness to cover Saturday games. Saturday's chock full of games to cover. There's some really important ones uh, going on, especially in the first part of the day. Tonight, if you hear this before... Um, tonight's games, Texas and Oklahoma is a big game and Houston and BYU. So an active night in the Big 12 on ESPN. Thanks for listening to this episode of Your Own Madness. I'm Chris Hayes. Again, follow me on X at Total Sports underscore 247. We'll see you later on in the week with coverage for more games.